0: Scott Cowan welcome to the podcast today I'm so glad you could join us
1: yeah thank you for having me
0: you know you wrote a a really funny named book but interesting book about how how you looked at intercollegiate athletics in your time at Tulane you called it Winnebago's on Wednesdays and you had a specific chapter that talks about the tail wagging the dog and that being athletics tell us about your observations that you had about this in your book
1: Yeah, I think what's happened over the last several decades is that uh, intercollegiate athletics, especially at the highest level, uh, and I'm really focused on FBS football, also focused on on men's uh, uh, basketball. Uh, I think at the highest level, it is interesting. uh, It has become, if you will, almost the most visible part of many universities. And with that visibility has become a lot of risk for the institutions. And uh, a lot of finances involved in it. So I remember when I became a university president, someone said to me, Well, what you don't want is big time athletics. And I said, Why? He's, they said, Well, because of the investment you have to put into it, most institutions do. And secondly, because of the profile of it. And I have certainly found that. If you looked and made a list of all the uh, articles that have been written about various scandals in higher education, a good percentage of them have to deal with intercollegiate athletics. If you look at the number of institutions in America that are losing money in intercollegiate athletics, it's, it's staggering. As you probably know, even of the, you know, what we call the FBS or the, the used to be the Division 1A, there may be in any particular year only a dozen universities that are actually making money. Right. So what I thought is because of its visibility, because of the financial commitment you're making to it, because of the reputational risk, it really is the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. Uh, I also feel that way about medical schools, but right now we're focused on athletics.
0: <laughs> That's really true. That's really true. So one of the things that you talked about was the issues involving African-Americans on campuses in general and their predominance in athletics in particular. On primarily white college campuses, African-American students are often identified as athletes, even though there are many who come to those campuses who aren't how can higher education help to minimize these perceptions on campus?
1: Well, first of all, we, we should be diversifying our general student bodies beyond just having uh, athletics and African American athletics. And that's happening more and more in our college campuses, uh, quite honestly. I think the second thing we do is there's a perception, uh, regardless of your color, that if you're in athletics, somehow uh, you are taking in uh, an easier course of studies and you're getting benefits that nobody else is getting. And the fact of the matter is in some institutions, that's correct. So one of the things we ought to make sure that we're doing for all our students, in particular uh, athletic students, is is to make sure they're taking a bona fide degree, a bona fide curriculum, um, so that we don't have the issues we've had in certain institutions like North Carolina, not too long ago, and others that you and I could name. So my view, first of all, is is, is, uh, if we have diversified campuses, and there's more people of color, the distinction then that most of our athletics begins to dissipate anyway. It seems to be much larger because they seem to be more in intercollegiate athletics than they are in the general student body. So my solution is we have to have, uh, quite honestly, more diversity of all kinds of our institutions. Once that happens, they don't they won't look like outliers anymore. The interesting thing that I've been very pleased with at Tulane, at least during my years, and I think it's true today, and I used to tell everybody the African-American athletes performed equal to or not better than their, well, their white counterparts. So in terms of their academic uh, accomplishment, at least at Tulane, it, it was always very good. And, and they were taking, I know, very bona fide classes and programs. And I think it's, that should be that way in every institution. But I don't think it's quite that way in every institution.
0: What do you say, uh, I'll go down a little bit deeper on this topic, about institutions that prior- prioritize athletic ability over academic ability just to win games?
1: Well, that's, that's the, the way of life today, right? Um, but you know what? It's not unlike what we do in some other fields. So if you're taking someone into the arts, many times we'll take people who have demonstrated talent over those that don't. So in that way, athletics is very similar to others that are not in athletics, but are in fields that quite honestly, they compete for a place based on the experience they've had and their ability in a particular area. And I think about that in the arts probably more than any other, whether it be music or, or um, the visual
0: arts. So uh, then we had the issue once athletes uh, get on campus, they, they tend to cluster in certain academic majors. Um, And some of that is a time, a schedule issue more than anything else. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, they do tend to cluster. And I don't mind that they're clustering as long as the areas they're clustering in are bona fide degrees and programs. Um, That's fine. If they want to go there, who are we to dictate where they should go and not go? Any student can do that. My, My issue is to make sure that they are getting a great education. You know, I used to say all the time to athletes, you make a decision where you go to college, it's a 40-year decision. It's not a four-year decision, right? You, you know, very few of you are going to go on to play professionally or make money out of athletics. It's your degree. We've got to make sure you get the right degree. So, as I said, I don't care where they land in the institution in terms of their academic interest, As long as where they're landing, there is rigorous curriculum and programs for them to take. And they're not taking some gut courses just to get through.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. That's what we're promising. That's what we need to deliver. Absolutely. Um, So we hear a lot about the phrase collegiate model Uh, in in NCAA athletics. Mark Emmert uses that term quite a bit. Yeah. Why are colleges so tied to that concept if it's seen as rife with contradictions in actual practice?
1: Well, I think it just sounds so good, doesn't it? You know, that we have... (laughs) Model. I mean, and but, but let's be honest. I think the vast amount of issues with intercollegiate athletics is not in division three. It really goes to FBS football for the most part. And it goes to men's basketball. If you look at all the other sports, the Olympic sports and so on, I don't think there's a lot of angst. There's some, but not that much angst. It is we've got so out of proportion with visibility and the financial support uh, that comes with, you know, big time football and men's basketball. I think that's where it is. And we all, you know, I think everybody had this notion that boy, we have to keep the collegiate model. That's the way it all started. But the reality is in those two areas, we don't have it anymore for the most part. And when it's all said and done with reform, I think it's going to demonstrate even more that, That's not the collegiate model. It's some other new model. I don't know what the word will be. It probably won't be strictly professional. There'll be something between professional collegiate uh, that we might be able to call it.
0: Yeah. I think that's where we've been hesitant to head, but in this changing dynamic of the digital media landscape, the social media landscape, what athletes bring to the table is their whole selves and they have many interests and, um, and uh, strengths that they can bring, whether it's marketing themselves on social media or bringing a large fan base along with them as they moved up through the ranks. And colleges have to be willing to embrace that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, one of the analogies is, listen, if if you're a music major, all right, and let's say you sing uh, and you do it in college, you are allowed to go out and sing professionally at the same time and get money. Right. um, so, why can they do it and athletes can't? Now, there are some differences between those two uh, comparisons I've made, but there's also some similarities. So, I think we have to come to terms with, you know, name and uh, image uh, likeness, uh, and we will. I mean, everybody's working on it right now. Something will come
0: of that. Right, right. So, you alluded a little bit to a changing governance model. Do you have a sense right now what governance model might work best for college athletics?
1: Uh, I don't. Uh, The honest is I don't. I don't think the NCAA as it exists or the CFP are the right ones. Yeah. But if you said what's the right model right now, I would say I I don't have an answer. All I know is those systems haven't worked. They've just exacerbated the problems.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, The NCAA is is really a lot controlled by the Power Five conferences. Um, Yet there's lots of other schools there. And it's once again driven by men's basketball and football. you know, the college playoff series is outside of the NCAA and there's issues with that. Um, so I don't have the solution, but I know there's a problem. And a lot of people are working on it right now to figure out okay, what are the alternative structures? Maybe it is that the Power Five goes off in their own direction and does whatever they do and they can call it the professional league if they want. Uh, and that might bring some rationality. So I think what we're going to see over the next really year or two years is everybody trying to figure out okay, we're a little dismayed, uh, maybe we're more than a little dismayed about the current structure, but what are the alternatives? Um, yeah. And I, I think you're going to see a lot of discussion and writing on that topic.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. So, one of the things that I look at in my research is where else can higher education look for assistance in trying to manage this uh, governance issue that we have in college athletics? and. I've started asking folks about the American Council on Education and the Association of Governing Boards. And for folks who don't know what they are, ACE has been a long-standing organization that has really been the, in my definition, the government liaison between higher education and and the federal government and sometimes state governments. And the Association for Governing Boards uh, provides direction and and um, management for trustees what kinds of roles if any do you think they should play in oversight
1: you know they have tried listen AGB has tried Uh, they've issued at least on two occasions over the last 20 years maybe more uh, you know guidance to board members about how they think about intercollegiate athletics and it's had very little impact
0: yeah
1: Uh, the same thing with ACE and it's not that they're either one of them they're very good organizations but uh, Intercollegiate athletics is a really strange thing in higher ed, as you know. And I think the, the issue has to be, quite honestly, is the boards of the universities. If there's been groups that have been neglectful, in my in my view, it's been the boards.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, you know, uh, and uh, we've seen this over and over again, where you have uh, uh, either the boards neglect overseeing athletics the way they should. Or you're afraid to take it on because if you're a board member and you say, oh, my gosh, I don't think we're doing this right in athletics, you're likely to be shunned and you're likely to have a hard life because everybody likes athletics.
0: Right.
1: My big concern is is how can we get the boards to really focus much more on this topic? And I don't think many university presidents want their boards to get involved. Hmm. And that's a shame. And I think the boards ought to be more involved. Whether AGB could do that, uh, once again, I think they've tried, uh, and I was on one of their study groups not too long ago, a few years ago, about you know new guidance, and I, I don't know that it made much difference. Yeah. So I think unless the boards themselves realize that they're equally culpable in the issues that occur, then I, it's going to be tough to get anybody else involved. They just don't want to touch it.
0: And it also seems like, from state to state, how boards get um, uh, selected varies wildly. I was talking to a regent uh, from uh, Colorado, and they're actually elected out of their home districts. So they have Democratic representatives, Republican. They're not appointed, but they're elected.
1: Yeah, and you have a big difference between the publics and the privates, right? Right. The publics, many times, are political appointments. And, And quite honestly, those political appointments tend to just inherently like athletics and will do whatever, or just not do anything and let the president and the AD do it all. Um, The private institutions are a little different, but even with the private institutions, um, you know, you can easily be um, really shunned in a board by standing up and saying, uh, you know what, we have a problem with intercollegiate athletics here, let's change it. How do I know this? I tried to do it in 2003, it's too
0: late. Yeah, I remember that.
1: Well, yeah, I tried to take Tulane from what was then Division 1A to Division 3. And um, I believe that was the right thing to do. I still believe it's the right thing today in many ways for our institutions. Um, but we're crucified for it. And even in the end, it was difficult to keep the board focused on this as, as well
0: yeah yeah um and if there are any presidents out there listening who think boy that sounds like a really great idea what advice would you give them at this point looking back on it from 17 years ago
1: yeah what i what i would say is, is you, first of all uh you better find a place that you can go hide in because people will be looking for you and yeah. not in the pleasant <laughs> way. and the second is even if you do your homework and i suspect they would you know, if you don't have that board solidly, you know, uh, behind you, it's going to be very, very difficult. It really, really is. Because um, athletics, you know, has a lot of emotion to it. You know, you, you know where the word uh, fan comes from, fanatics. I mean, that's where it comes from. And that, that can make people uh, not want to look at the facts and to be irrational sometimes when they think about athletics.
0: You know, speaking of the New Orleans area, which got so, so hard hit with Katrina, uh, I recall uh, the University of New Orleans making a similar move, if I'm not incorrect about, because they lost so many students and therefore they lost so many, so much student fees that would have supported their athletic program. Any thoughts about student fees and the role that they play?
1: Well, um, they're obviously important. Uh, The students are supporting it. it's interesting, I think, uh, to find out how many students actually come to games. And I think you'll see a big division there between sort of the big football factories uh, and students who come from others. Uh, but students' the fees, they pay it for other things. Normally, at most institutions, the, the students actually have to um, approve the fees. So my view is, is if that's what the students want to use their money for, um, it seems okay to me. I'm not opposed to it. Um, as long as they're doing it with their, their eyes wide open and they understand what the opportunity cost may be to the institution of those commitments versus an academic or some other place.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't know how many institutions really do a good job of explaining where the student fees are going and how much is going to athletics versus other entities.
1: Well, uh, that's correct. Plus, you know, I don't know how many universities, quite honestly, uh, you know, we all report how we do it in every collegiate athletics, Right but I don't know how widely they, they let the community know what the financials are of intercollegiate athletics. Um, or they make the excuse, well, if we're losing 10 million or 15 million, it's important because that's how we get students to come to the institution. Uh, you know, This builds our name brand. So there'll be all kinds of reasons. And as you probably know, the research on that is mixed. I mean, so for example, uh, they'll say, well, listen, if we have winning seasons, we're gonna get a, more, a lot more applications. It is true you'll probably get a lot more applications, but the last research I said, it doesn't necessarily change the profile of the enrolled student. Right. So you get more applications, but the student body in the main, looks basically the same. So I think every institution really has to look at if they're making a big investment and, and losing in athletics, what are the benefits from those? Who is benefiting from it? And is it worth the return?
0: You know, in the last fifteen years, I have tracked. There's been twenty-two institutions that have uh, have moved from Division Two to Division One, uh, all chasing what I think you just talked about there. Um, any advice for institutions that are thinking about doing that?
1: Don't do it. That's <laughs> advice. Don't do it. I, I I know. I saw the same data that you've seen, and I just had to laugh and say the last thing I would ever do is upgrade yes. my. Uh, Now I think what happens is if they're in you know in that middle ground that they're not Division Three and they're not Division One A or what used to be One A, you know then they're sort of in that they're in a really awkward place right because they don't really get any revenue other than people coming to the games they still have the cost so you either get yourself down to a more reasonable level like Division Three or you go all the way and I think they figured well we're not going to go to Division Three let's go up where maybe we can get some money through conferences uh, through more people coming you know to our games. Uh, But I doubt that any of them have been successful financially on it, and maybe not even athletically on it.
0: Yeah, that's my suspicion as well. I'm actually doing some research on that right now.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting topic to look at, absolutely.
0: So Scott, let me ask you one final question before I let you go, but I was thinking a lot about this idea of federal intervention, particularly in the names, images, and likenesses. All these state regulations coming together do you think that's the answer, or do you think that um, we might be better served in allowing the states to do what they think is best for their institutions?
1: You know, it's, it's funny you asked me that question. If you had asked me that question three or four years ago, I'd say the worst thing is, is, is to get you know, the states and the federal government involved in this. Uh, you know, If they have to start regulating us, then we're in big trouble. But here's the fact is, we've had a difficult time regulating ourselves. We really have. And for the first time in my life, I, uh, you know, I believe if it takes the states and the federal government to intervene so that maybe we get our act together ourselves, then so be it, because something's gotta change. This is not a, this is not a sustainable uh, situation uh, in intercollegiate. And once again, I wanna focus primarily on FPS football and I wanna focus on men's basketball. I don't wanna put aspersions on track and field. They have their own little issues, but you know there's a big difference. And the focus has on there. So, uh, what I would like is that we had, we, the NCAA, the colleges and universities, the conferences, the accreditors, that we could figure out a way to do it ourselves. But apparently we've not been able to do that. And therefore, uh, it's inevitable now that the states and or the federal government will get involved in it. And and of course, the courts. The courts will have a big impact on this. And it's a shame it came to that, but, uh, we have nobody to blame other than ourselves that it came that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder, and and this is something that I will further research, but how much um, of a firewall we can put around athletics with regard to federal and or state intervention, because I know there's always been concerns, like for academic medical centers and other pieces of the higher education ecosystem, that if we ask them to come in for this, are we opening up the doors to more federal regulation intervention. Any thoughts on that?
1: Well, first of all, I think you're right. Uh, and you know, what's very interesting and, uh, and very sad for me, you know, when I got into the academy 40 years ago, 45 years ago, higher education, the sector, was revered in the United States. I mean, it really was. If you ask people, you know, who did you trust the most, a lot of people would say higher education professors and so on. That has dramatically changed in the last 45 years. The cynicism now around higher education is, is 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 palpable. I mean, it really is very frightening to see that. And a lot of it is self-inflicted, you know, with tuition rates going up as much as they have, the competitiveness to get into institutions, you name it. So, you know, my feeling is is we've seen over the last 40 years that I can think of, not just in athletics, but in all aspects of, of, of higher ed, where we just... Uh, we're just not seen anymore as taking the higher ground and doing the right kinds of things. Some of it is unfair, but some of it is warranted. Um, And I think athletics is one of those uh, worlds that warrants real transformation. Once again, not knowing what the answer is, but real transformation in such a way. But it just contributes to this negative uh, uh, narrative about higher education that we're now seeing generally.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Well, Scott, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your crazy busy schedule. I know you're all over the place all the time, but I think what you've shared with us today is really going to be beneficial for my listeners. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you for all your good work on behalf of Intercollegiate Athletics also.
0: Thank you very much. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining us for another week of thinking about college athletics from the 30,000-foot perspective. In case this is the first time you are joining us, the podcast drops every Thursday morning. You can listen to previous guests and topics on eight different podcasting platforms including iTunes and Spotify. Each week I will strive to give you a deeper understanding of the complexities of higher education and intercollegiate athletics in the 21st century. Please also join me on Forbes.com for additional content and extended analysis. Have a great week.